0: I don't want to say it, but we've been kind of pretty consistent the last few weeks. It's been good.
1: I'm very happy about that. Yeah, it's worked out. Yeah. It's good. We're
0: kind of getting in a groove again, which is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to start us off with a word of prayer? Yeah.
0: Father God, we are so excited to be your children. We are excited to be adopted into the family of God by your sovereign grace. Lord, we understand and we praise you for the fact that you sought us out when we were running from you. You pulled us unto yourself. You loved us with an everlasting love. Even while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Father, we love your electing love. Without it, we would have nothing, but with it, Father, you have given us everything in Christ. And so we thank you, we praise you, and, and Father, we love you because you first loved us. But even above all of that, Father, you have uh, blessed us with your truth. We thank you that we have the Word of God Father, given to us that we can hold it in our hands and hide it in our hearts. And even now on this podcast, we can declare it, we can defend it, and we can talk all about it, Father. There's really nothing else we want to talk about other than your truth. So we thank you for that, and we pray you'll help us in this now to speak the truth and only the truth, Father, that Christ may be exalted, that your glory may be all over all the earth, and that you may use this podcast in some small way to encourage your church, uh, both here in Bowie and around the globe. For the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's get this party started. Is truth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of Belcroft Bible Church. and uh, What a blessing. It is to be with him today. <laughs> His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Hey, you throw these curveballs at
0: me. <laughs> That's not right, man. You're going to make me blush again. See how you are, man. <laughs> Listen, we don't need to hear that. <laughs> put Vody up there or put RC Sproul, but <laughs> that, that that's not right. Man. That's yeah.
1: You you you're getting good at this. Hey, you know, it's uh it's it's I think that more than anything, I just like to see you blush. I think that's what it really is. I like yeah. to see you blush. So. Yeah, well, that doesn't
0: happen very often, but <laughs>
1: you're getting good at it, man. <laughs> leave me, i'm not ready to say leave me alone man. <laughs> oh man uh, you know what out of all the sayings that you say i was like why didn't i think of that one first I, why didn't i think it of i hardly one ever first? say it yeah right you don't need this you say it automatically so yeah well <clears throat> welcome back everyone um Obviously, we like to have fun. Yes. Uh, I am going to, Amen. however, start off with a uh, a question that came in from Uh-oh. a listener, and uh, this question is a a good question coming off of the um. Oh, this has nothing to do with anything. This is about it says question on prayer. So, oh yeah, it is question on prayer. You know, because we you know are very basic here we stick to the fundamentals (laughs) prayer is what we've been talking about for uh for quite a while and we will continue because even the topic i've have after this is uh is about prayer so sorry if y'all expected something else (laughs) you know that's it is what it is with us so all right this is the email hello truth talks i was tracking with and feeling the weight from the series on prayer then last week my wife and i asked the question when do we train our children to pray should we train our young children to pray we do not want to train our children to pray only for them to learn that god has not been listening we also want to avoid fostering a type of emotionalism relationship mm. matthew nineteen thirteen through 15 comes to mind and so when a child grows up and is tested and becomes of age, only then would God not listen to their prayer if they are unregenerate or unrepentant, question mark. Mm-hmm. But how does this square with Psalms 5, 51, 5, Romans 3, 10 through 11, etc.? So you want to take it step by step, or you want me to keep going? Uh, just keep going, and then we'll, we'll go back to it, take sure. it step by step. Okay, I went through a bit of deconstruction while thinking about this question. I grew up with a version of the doctrine that the man is the priest of the home, and what was taught sounded good. In parentheses, shepherding with focus. Mm. Only this teaching is unbiblical. Not to mention plenty of scripture outlining Christ as our mediator and great high priest Hebrews four fourteen and that both the husband and wife are joint heirs First Peter three seven. So the idea that a child should go to his father for intercessory prayer falls apart under this unbiblical priest doctrine. I also grew up with a with family prayer. You know. Uh, everyone goes around the table at dinner time or before bed, taking turns praying. A safer approach would be the parents leading. My mother, the mother, is to instruct the children, and the husband is to shepherd her in this, but our little children literally to imitate prayer. So
0: is that a question at the end? Yes.
1: I, 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 I was, I was, so is he asking? Yes. Okay. The mother is to instruct the children, and the husband is to shepherd her in this. But are the little children literally to imitate prayer? Uh, all right, a couple
0: things I'll say with this. I Honestly, I think it's a good question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> little long, little twist, twisting turns, but I think I can pull it together if I'm tracking. Um, but I think it's a good question. I think it's a question that needs to be asked, honestly. Um, I think uh, when it comes to raising our children, I think oftentimes— uh, we don't think some of the things through that we uh, are teaching them and how we're teaching them. And so uh, I think if I'm getting the listener's question right, they're asking about this reality of teaching our children to pray and how do we go about doing that and is it right to even do that? That's what I'm hearing in the question. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to it, but I don't want to get lost too much into weeds and I think I can answer their question. So one is... Um, I think when uh, I think you cannot lose sight of the fact when you're dealing with your children. Obviously, he quoted uh, Psalm uh, fifty-one five, which I think is David talking about in uh, at conception he was born in iniquity, right? And so he's talking about total depravity and being that way from birth. And yes, that reality is real and can't deny that. And he was. The question is being built off of this reality that obviously God doesn't hear the prayer of the unrepentant, and obviously the Bible makes that clear, mm-hmm. as we've seen multiple times through the series. So then you have to ask this question: What about what about a child's prayer? Well, a couple things. One, um, I take the position that children obviously are totally depraved, as every human being is, mm-hmm. right? But there is this reality in the life of a child where the Bible speaks of children as innocent, not in total depravity, but in their, uh, in their cognitive ability and what they're doing with sin and open rebellion. There is a reality with uh, children, and, and this is what the Bible talks about them not knowing their right hand from their left, right? And this reality of, of even God calls them innocent, not in the sense of of their total depravity, but in their cognitive ability, not knowing the right hand from the, from the left. And, and there's some understanding of that. And so you have to take that into consideration. And so many people take a hard line where it's just, this child is, is depraved, which they are, but then you, you, you know, take such a strong position in that where you're not going to shepherd them or teach them, and that obviously is not right. Deuteronomy 6 is very clear, and it's dealing in the context right. of children. Right. We're to teach them as we as we what? As we sit by the road, as we walk by the road, as we sit down, rise up, and all of that, in all of that would be prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in the context of Deuteronomy 6, with which is the Shema, and in the context of Israel, so much they would pray at least three specific times a day sometimes it would be seven or nine depending on the festival and what it would be where these are prayers that were done uh, uh not I'm not saying this in a negative sense but in a practic in a clear sense ritualistically right where they would do it at sunrise at midday and at and at night almost ritualistically like traditionally and so the children would be a part of that right and so Um, obviously that's part of what God was calling Israel to do and for their children to see that. So one of the ways that I've instructed and encouraged parents over the years to teach their children how to pray is exactly how how we learn how to pray, and that's by watching other people pray, Mm -hmm. right? And so we see that in the disciples. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because they had been watching him pray for years, John the Baptist in Luke 11, his disciples did the same thing. They had watched John the Baptist pray so much that they had reached a point where his followers said the same thing. Teach us how to pray. That's why in Luke 11, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray, just like John taught his disciples how to pray. Right? Right, Same deal. So uh, I've said it many times, most of the time in Scripture, prayer is more caught than taught. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) It's caught by, by walking and praying and listening to someone. And that comes in, looms large when it comes to our home life. And so um, so I'm not a big proponent of children praying beyond adolescent years, you know, the young children, toddler years, because I think you can incorporate that into children, and I think you need to teach them how to approach God and that He is approachable, right, because uh, by God's grace, eventually they're going to cry out to the Lord. And that's what, obviously, salvation is, is nothing more than them crying out to the Lord, and you want them to know that he is approachable and that you can cry out to him and he will hear you. And you want to build that into your child early on, and you want to demonstrate that to them week after week, day after day, night after night, and that's good for them to see. And, and it's natural in the, in the upbringing of a child where they will ask that you know, about prayer, and you want to model that for them. Um, and so that's good and, and right, and again, I think biblical, because you're modeling that much like Deuteronomy 6, and obviously Ephesians 6 picks up on that, which is really it really Ephesians 6 is is really the Deuteronomy 6 of the New Testament, right. where you're raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, mm-hmm. well raising them up in the ways of God is going to include talking with God mm-hmm. based on the Word of God. So... You're going to have to model that for them. You're going to have to talk to them about it. You're going to, which would include this very reality that we pray in Jesus' name and what that means, which is a obviously a slow pitch softball to the gospel, right? And yeah. you're, you're going to have to teach them that, right? And apart from them coming in Christ, obviously there's a barrier there, and that's why their greatest need is to repent and believe, and so. So that's clear. What you don't want to do, and I don't think it's helpful, and uh, is as you're dealing with your your small children as they get into um, into teenage years and stuff. Like I, it's not common in my house for teenagers to pray um, because they're reaching an age which is clearly an age where they're responsible. Right? They're no longer children of children. Like they cognitively under are understanding now the gospel. At some point, right? They're all different, but they're getting to a point where they know they're sinners. They're openly rebelling against God. They're responsible for that and they've got to answer for it. And what I don't want to do is begin to minimize that and somehow treat them as if they're in a right relationship with God when they're not. Mm. And I know this is hard for people to hear and, and may even be confusing for some. But I think as parents, sometimes we, we lead our children astray in ways we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And I know it's very common for me with with, with my son, who's 13, and, and I'll tell him all the time, son, you, you know, you struggle with this because you're not right with God. And I mean, just being boldly frank with him, mm-hmm. this is the problem. Like, son, you, you're you not right with him because you have not embraced the gospel. Because in some ways, I don't think he even fully understands it yet at his age, because we've had so many discussions, I've had thirteen years to pour it into him, and I've watched him develop. But, but I want him to know that, and I want—I don't want to—I don't want him to think that that he has a relationship with God that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't know his heart, right, and I'm going to say something about that here in a minute. But uh, I know his life, mm-hmm. right, and I can and I can judge his life. And as his father, I need to. So what we don't want to do. Is is begin treating our children as if they've as if they can commune with God when in reality they can't, right? Because they're not believers, and so that's a that's a difficult uh, that's a difficult position for people to hear, but they need to hear it because many times we confuse our children. Again, I'm not talking about little children that are just that are just learning you know, this is what we do and this is who we are. And that's, I believe that's different and that's innocent and that's good um, to show children those things when they're young um, and even have them involved in some of that, you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. But you don't want that to continue in, a, in an innocent way when they're not innocent, right? When they reach that point of clarity, but yet now you're confusing them, Right, as teenagers and it's like let's just all get together and and pray when when they don't even know what they're doing and they don't know the God who who they're praying to and their heart is hard and you know, that's better for them to listen to mom and dad's prayers. Better better for them to be involved at that level than to pretend to be something they're not, because honestly, that's a huge problem in the in the modern church where we've got children coming up as teenagers who are pretending to be something they're not and then they get old enough and they realize it and they go what is this? I'm not I don't do this. I don't have this. I don't have this relationship and then obviously they grow up and they abandon the church. Well, they were never in the church, but oftentimes we treat them as if they are. And uh and so that's a that's a that's an important important issue. Now, one thing I will say, and this is I left obviously left this had to leave this for the podcast when I was preaching that sermon about about the reality of God not listening to the unrepentant prayer. And um, it comes it comes in Acts chapter 10, and this, you can see this in multiple places, but in Acts chapter 10 it comes up really clear. And it's the prayer of what is called the God-fear, right? And this could very well be the heart of a child. This could be the heart of a teenager, right? We, again, this is, this is in the heart. But in the context of Acts chapter 10, we're dealing with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who's not a believer, and yet he is, and I'll read it to you, here you go, a man from Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, what happens as the story progresses, we understand that he doesn't, he doesn't understand Christ, he doesn't understand the gospel, but what he is in, in this cultural context is what was known as a God-fear. He was following the God of Israel, and so he was doing many of the things that they were doing that he had learned. So in some ways, you could say he was mimicking Israel, because that's what the God-fears did. They were Gentiles, they were non-Israelites who, who recognized the, the God of Israel to be the one true God, and they were kind of following in their footsteps— even worshiping and trying to do I mean that's what he's doing he's giving alms he's praying continually he's following the way of of Yahweh as he's learned it from the Jews around him and yet what we see later on in the context is he doesn't know the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ obviously this is new and he will become what many call the first gentile to be saved in the in the uh, in the new testament by way of by way of the book of Acts, and so which is interesting. So what happens as he's praying, an angel comes to him. Well, I read it um, about the ninth hour of the day, which is interesting because he was likely following the mm. the pattern of the Jewish prayers, mm. praying at specific times right, of right. the day. That's why that's mentioned again, mimicking, following. Mm-hmm. So about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision and an angel of God had come to him to say, Cornelius. And he stared at him, that is Cornelius, stared at him in terror (laughs) and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, I love this, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon who is called Peter. And the story goes on. And so he does. He sends men, they find Peter Peter is having a vision at the same time as God is preparing Peter to go and now preach the gospel to this Gentile. And Peter obviously is not ready for that. So God sends him a vision with all these unclean animals. And that's the passage where it says, arise, kill and eat. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, I will never do that. And he sees it three times. And then he, he learns, don't call unclean what I have now made clean. And it's a testimony of the Gentiles. It's I'm ready to bring them in. And so he sends Peter there and Peter preaches the gospel and he and his whole household get saved. So what you have here obviously is a very unique story in that it's transitional in the book of Acts as the gospel is going forward. But I think there's principles here to be learned and it's principles of this reality. When someone is searching for God, and we know that that is reality, because God has already put that in their heart, because Romans 3 says no one seeks after God, mm-hmm. and yet people seek after God. Mm-hmm. Acts 17 says God put people in specific places so they could what? Search after him, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that's how all of us come to Christ, is he, in his sovereign love, moves in our hearts to provoke us, most theologians call that divine calling, where the Lord calls us unto himself, he draws us sovereignly unto himself, and that often uh, works itself out in times of searching and seeking, and we're looking for truth, and we're we're discontent with the world, we're starting to search. Well, obviously the Lord is, is working in all of that, and many times people are crying out to the Lord, help me find Lord, what, you know, they don't even know what they're saying at times, but they're praying to God for help, and obviously the Lord is The Lord is in that because that person is genuinely, humbly seeking the Lord. And so, again, the key in what we were talking about is God hears the unrepentant prayer. This guy's called a devout man, right? This guy knows he's a sinner. That's why he's doing all of this. But he doesn't obviously have the gospel. Oftentimes in people's lives, they're being awakened to their sin and their desperate need for, for help. They just don't know what it is. They're trying to find truth. All of that is a work of God. All of that is God working in their life, and so if someone is genuinely seeking God, God will always hear that prayer, and God will always help that person. And that's what He said: "All who come to Me, I will no wise cast out." And a lot of times, that is that is in uh, in a in a process where that per- person is searching and looking, and and the Lord obviously hears that, and so um, we see that, and that could happen with a obviously with a child, with a teenager, with anybody. Right where they're genuinely seeking the Lord, and so I think even in here you see that principle where there is that I believe mimicking happen where Cornelius learned this reality from the Jews, and he's following what he learned, and yet because of the uh, canonical setting of this story and the flow of the New Testament gospel, in the sense of Christ now ascended and the gospel going forward, you know he doesn't he he's not technically saved yet. Because he hasn't trusted in Christ, that's where Peter comes in. So, I think you can you can see that reality, you know, throughout Scripture multiple times. And so, uh, when it comes to children, yeah, I just think you got to be wise and trust the Lord. Don't overthink it, right? And just be uh, just be very clear with them as they grow up. Obviously, when they're children, you're just modeling for them. They're learning by watching, and they mimic. That's what children do, and that's good. Right. That's why, you know, a child, you know, you're dealing with a seven or eight year old and, you know, you ask them the, the age old question, you know, do you want to go to heaven? Every child's going to say yes, because they're just mimicking. Right? right. Right. And that's why. Can a child at seven be saved? Yes. You know, the Lord can save anyone he wants, whenever he wants. But do we do we automatically? you know embrace that and say yes now you're a believer no we don't do that not 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 wisely we encourage it and we just keep encouraging them to keep trusting the lord and keep searching for the lord and keep reading you know and and that's what we do and we wait to see the fruit of that in years to come and that's that's what we do and so but what we don't want to do is keep leading them down a path that they they don't want to go down a path that obviously they they haven't gone down and then lead them to a place to kind of make them think they have gone down. And that is so common in the modern church, and I believe detrimental to kids. And one of those ways that that could happen is in prayer. And uh, so I think we need to be clear with our kids and, and, uh, and help them understand that uh, to, to go before the throne of grace is to go through the name of Christ. And are you doing that? Have you done that? Do you know what that means? Have you denied yourself, died to yourself, taken up your cross, and followed Christ? Do you understand what that means? And if we're honest, most most children can't understand what that means. Not that it has to be understood in the fullest extent, because none of us do, but it has to be understood clearly in the gospel sense. And that is your culpability and your understanding of not only sin, sin and judgment, but also the lordship of Christ. And uh, without that, you have no gospel. And and that takes time to grow cognitively in that. And so, yeah, so I think that answers that question and is is helpful for that person.
1: Well, uh, in case you didn't know, you've just ruined the uh, the lives of a lot of parents just now. And it's good. It's a good yeah. ruin. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those parents because as you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking about my life and how my parents raised me because it was a— Um, a mimicking thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I came of age, you know, I didn't understand the gospel, my church coming up, they didn't explain the gospel the correct way anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a gimmick, uh, not gimmick, but a mimic that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see how I am doing that now where I'm expecting my children to mimic me versus confronting them with the sin that is, you know, that they are born with that is in their heart. Because it's it's kind of, they under, like, you know, at all, but some of my kids are coming to the age where they understand their sin. Yep. And I was uh, talking to one uh, child who remained nameless, and I'm like, why'd you do that? And, the, like, the knee-jerk response was, because I'm sinful. Mm. And it's like, it was more or less mm. a, like, yeah, I did it because I'm a sinner. Yeah, And I'm like, you're right. But it wasn't a knowledge of like, uh, or like a repentant, like, yes. you know, this is the reason why. It was like, you should know. You taught me all this stuff All you know, I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. That's why I did it. And I'm like, all right. It's like the light bulb just went off. It's yeah. like, okay, instead of me expecting, you know, the uh, uh, the reflection, mm-hmm. you know, of what I'm doing, I need to show them the scripture and let theirs let their sin be shown to them versus, mm-hmm. you know, you know, me trying to kind of just guide them to where I want them to be, yeah. you know, in a, in a, in a negative way. And again, I think,
0: I think you gotta, you gotta walk that wisely and circumspectly in the sense of where your children are and mimicking is I think good. in when they're young, when they're little, that's how they're, that's how they learn. Right. Right. And uh, and so, you know, you're they're watching them, I think, you know, and in in, even in our context, in our home, you know, it's good for us to teach our children that we pray before we eat Mm -hmm. any meal because we're teaching them that everything we have comes from God. Mm -hmm. Right. And and we we strive to give God all praise and all glory and all gratitude for everything that we have every meal, you know, and it's good for them to see that and it's good for them to learn that and it's good for them to do that even as children. It's like, no, no, no. Have you prayed? Have you, you know, and obviously we're, we're eating, you know, 99.9% of our meals together. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the mother or the father is the one leading in prayer and showing them that. But I mean, obviously it's good for them to stop and thank the Lord and give, give God that honor and for them to learn. And even I ask my children uh, oftentimes, especially at lunchtime when I'm, when I'm eating with them, and I, and I try because I'm in and out of the house a lot with them. So I'll try to always be the one that prays, again, to model that. Mm-hmm. But I always will ask my boys in particular, now my go- girls are older and, and profess Christ, I, I I'll ask my boys, I'll say, why do we pray? Again, just reminding them because it becomes rote mimicking, mm-hmm. right? And so I'll confront them almost all the time. Why do we pray? Why, do we, why are we thanking God right now? It's, it's lunchtime. And they will, they're, they're learning, right? They're getting it. Well, because God gave us this food. Exactly. And we are stopping acknowledging that not only do we need our daily bread from him, but God has been faithful to provide our daily bread. Mm-hmm. And we're saying thankful. We're saying thank you before we even partake of this, lest we become presumptuous and prideful. And so that's teaching them, right? And so yeah. I don't have a problem with them, you know, doing that on their own. Right? and saying, hey, hey did, you, did you guys pray before you ate that, if I come in later or whatever, or, or their mother asking them and helping them through that. Obviously, that's, that's good, right? It's good for uh, everyone to give thanks and honor to the Lord. But as they're growing older, helping them also understand where they are in their relationship with God and recognizing um, that they are separated from Him apart from Christ. And helping them grow and understand the only way they'll be reconciled to him is by uh, repentant faith in Christ alone. And obviously, we, we don't want to minimize that, and we don't want to put anything in the way that's going to block that. Right. And, and, and treating our children as if they aren't saved, treating our children as if they are saved when they, when they don't demonstrate any fruits of salvation could could very well and often is a massive barrier. Mm-hmm. for that child. And it becomes confusing. It really does. And, and that is just a thought that most parents don't think through. And so, uh, I think the question is good for that and forces us to think through that. And, uh, and I appreciate
1: it and it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there's something else in the email that he, uh, that he mentioned and I want to get your thoughts on it because, uh, I was very much raised the same way where it was, um so there was actually uh, a couple of uh men's conferences and and yep. talks on the men of the house or the, the the husband of the house being the prophet priest and king yeah of the house so uh he mentioned that uh jared actually thank you jared for uh for the email um but he mentioned and and as i read it i was like ooh, i, I remember that i remember yeah. like, you know you need to be the prophet and they explain what the prophet is and you need to be the priest and you need to be the king of your house yeah so uh <laughs> i kind of I think it's more of a softball pitch that I'm throwing at you, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of speak to that and you yeah. know what that's about. A couple things.
0: A lot of that comes out of a strong covenantal belief, meaning it's it's continuity from the Old Testament where they're taking in a lot of the Old Testament language and applying it into the New Testament home. Right. That's what that is. That's where that comes from, quote unquote, biblically. So that's where you're gonna find that and that's where obviously prophet, priest and king, all of that is Old Testament language. obviously only Christ is the prophet, priest and king. We understand that, but when it comes to the man in his home, yeah, that language isn't isn't used in the New Testament um, and and to pull that in and start describing fathers like that is is, uh, I would say unclear at best and unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do though believe. While that language and those titles are not helpful and at times could be harmful, meaning it takes away from Christ, you know, where we need to look to Christ, who's our right. only mediator, Christ, who's our only king. Christ is our only priest. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do. And we want to teach our children that. However, what we don't want to do and we must never do is minimize the role of the father in the home. Right. And that's where that language, I think, has been given. Not, not good, but that's where it's going. And I, so I get what those who are in that camp mean when they say that. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to elevate the role of the father as the leader, right? Which the Bible makes that clear. As the primary teacher, the Bible makes that clear. And the primary responsible one, right? The Bible provider, protector, responsible one, right? Meaning he's responsible for the care and protection and the nurturing and everything in the home, well, yeah, that's biblical. That's good. That's massively important that is minimized on every level today. So in that sense, if that's what you mean, I don't I don't like the titles because I think it gets confusing and it's covenantal language that isn't new covenant language. But if you're mean that, I'm with you, right? Cuz the father is that. Father is the primary is to be the primary teacher. He is to be the primary one who is not just instructing their children in the way of the of life but instructing them in the way of the Lord, right? That's what a priest does, right? Mm -hmm. And interceding on behalf of his family, Mm -hmm. right? And some of that you can even see in Job, which was, Job was before Old Testament law, and even Israel, you know, he's patriarchal, and uh, in the pre-patriarchal era of early on. And, uh, And so you see him interceding and offering sacrifices on behalf of his children. Well, I mean, that's what we're all supposed to be doing, not not in burnt sacrifices in that sense, but in the sacrificial offering of praise and thanksgiving and, and even intercession for our children, that the Lord would save them, the Lord would protect them, the Lord would watch over them. I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do as parents, uh, I mean, especially fathers. Well, what is that? That is that is acting in, a, in the priest sense. And let's be clear, in the New Testament, all of us are priests, right? First Peter chapter 2, we, we are a kingdom of priests. So in that sense there is truth to that and we should be doing that but not in the in the in the covenantal sense and that is often equated with that but in the i'd say the new testament sense yeah the father is the primary teacher he is the one primarily given by god who has responsibility in that home to lead that home in love like christ and to lead those children to the lord in his example and in his prayers and in his teaching and all of those things. So if that's what's meant by that, I've got no problem with that. Ephesians 6 makes that crystal clear. Ephesians 5 makes that crystal clear. Colossians 3 makes that crystal clear. Um, and so, uh, 1 Peter 2 talks about that, even in the general sense of the priesthood of the believer. And obviously the father most assuredly falls into that. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 speaks of the the father's role. And so, um, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And, uh, I mean, that's what Ephesians 6, 4 says, right? Fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, that's the father's role. He's responsible. doesn't mean he's the only teacher. doesn't mean he's the primary teacher, right? Mm -hmm. But he is responsible to see that his children are taught, and that's where the wives and mothers come in to help him and, and often manage a lot of that, especially when the children are young. So, yeah, if that's what you mean by that, then you're in good biblical ground, and it would be better for fathers to have a stronger understanding of that. So I like that language, if that's what it brings, but the language can be confusing. The language can can bring connotation that is never meant to be there. That Like, the child can't go to God because he has to go through the Father or something. No, anybody can go to God if their heart is repentant, yeah. and they're trusting Christ. Like, mm-hmm. you don't we don't go through any man. That's exactly what First uh, Timothy and Hebrews speak so clearly of. Hebrews 9, 1 Timothy speaks clearly. Mm-hmm. There's one mediator between God and man. It's not anybody's father. It's Jesus Christ, right? We understand that. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what you mean by priest, then obviously you're wrong. But if you're talking about the priesthood of the believer and the importance of intercession, especially from a fatherly perspective, then, yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah and and then you know the king part you know you start to use your kids as armor bearers yeah you know like the like the pastors do now they use they all have armor bearers yeah. and uh, no
0: I, I use my kids as slaves <laughs> <laughs> they, they mow the grass they rake the leaves actually I, I take care of them they blow the leaves it's, I guess. it's development though yeah that's, that's, they spread the mulch yeah yeah, it's, that's it's that's development, oh man. yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. That's yeah. all part
1: of it. Yeah, because if they don't know how to take out the trash, then you've you failed. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's good. I uh, but
0: back to the the point that I think the was it Jared that sent it. Yep. Jared brought up a really good point that I did not I did not have time to obviously clarify in the sermon as normal, but the idea of the God fear is a big point in Scripture, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal that. When it comes to prayer, God hears the prayer of those who are earnestly seeking him. Yep, Hebrews and 11, 6. He will always hear that, mm-hmm. right? And uh, And obviously the prayer of an unbeliever who's seeking him, because the only time people seek him is when God has already put that in their heart, right? Romans 3, no one seeks after God unless God has opened their eyes and is drawing them unto himself which John 6 says, you cannot come to me unless the Father draws you, right. right? And so anybody that's earnestly seeking God, that they don't even know what they're seeking, but they know that something's out there. Their heart is convicted. They know they're in, they're evil. They know their sin is there. I mean, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I, man, absolutely, God never turns that away. And God will bless those prayers, and he will answer them nothing more than God wants to do than to answer the cry of the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. right? That's literally what Scripture says over and over again. Yep. And it, and to seek God is to be broken. And I think this Acts 10 passage with Cornelius makes that really clear. And we see that example of the God fear many times, but that can happen in the heart of a child, I, I, absolutely, or anybody for that matter. So yeah. uh, that's why we never minimize it. We don't We don't sugarcoat it with our kids one way or the other, right? We mm-hmm. don't making them out to be something they're not but we don't flick them away if they're earnestly seeking the Lord right we encourage that and we encourage them to go to the Lord right and so i encourage my sons all the time go to the Lord beg the Lord to save you turn your heart to the Lord and and if they're praying that i tell them keep praying that don't stop praying that i don't tell them you know, the Lord's not hearing you, it would be ridiculous. Right. Now, if they're in open sin and they're mocking the Lord, right, they're lying to their mother, they're they're uh, being flippant with their father, they're not obeying, and then they're just going through the motions, yeah, I can say with the utmost clarity, it's like the Lord doesn't hear people who who live in open sin, son. Mm, yeah. The Lord doesn't hear you until your heart is broken. Mm-hmm. But if their heart is broken and, they, and they're crying out to the Lord, and I've seen it. Man, go to him. I tell him all the time. Keep going to him. Never stop that. Keep going to him. The Lord loves that.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, <clears throat> you good on that question? Because uh, yes, we uh we have a little bit of time left. Well, we have we have a good amount of time. Good, uh, but that was, good that was a good question. It was a yeah, very that, good question. that brought up a lot of
0: things, not just prayer, but parenting, and obviously, I'm sure that'll spur on other things. But it's good for parents to think these yeah. things through. We we don't think our parenting through um, at that level, and we should. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, the other question that I had, I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but... Um, I always answer quick. <laughs> 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 okay, so... <laughs> You and your sound effects, brother. You're like a kid who got a brand new toy, man. Got a new toy, man. I love it. So, this question actually is a a question that came up because uh All right, I'm going to just tell the world what happened, all right? And my wife is learning from it and we have worked through it. So, we're having an addition put on our house. Mm. And I would not recommend you do it without a pastor nearby to counsel you through (laughs) all of the heartaches and hardships that come with doing it. Uh, If you are doing it, you need to make sure that you are uh, prayed up in prayer. But from that, uh, I picked up this book and it's called The Divine Art of Christian Contentment by Thomas Watson. Yes, very good book. Dead guy. And one of my favorites. Yeah. And it has been convicting me in all sorts of ways. And one of the concepts that he brought up in there, um, (sighs) this is really it it was it was very hurtful. (laughs) It was one of those uh, those thorns. And uh, it it got me pretty good. I was trying to see if you had it on the shelf because I left the book at home. But um, you got it. Yeah, I I got it. I just looking for it. Keep yeah, going. so this is one I, I pulled up like the the Kindle version of it, but it's not the whole thing. So one of the things that I was very very uh, struck by was this idea of worry and being anxious, mm. and mm-hmm. you kind of pushed on it just a little bit um, in your last sermon from yep. the twentieth of yep. Uh, February. Yep, and what really hit me was the the whole idea of being anxious. And back in the day, there was this uh, this old saying that if, you, if you're going to pray about it, don't worry about it. If you're going to worry about it, don't pray about it. And is that it? No, that's a different one. No, but it quotes it. Yeah, keep going. But it was this, I mean, just like this, it hit me like, you know what? There's so much that I, I worry about, I'm anxious about, and it forms this discontentment that I have, um and i'm realizing like well, i'm just, i'm just not content and so um i i wish i had the the book with me but one of the quotes that i did find uh when i was uh looking through here it was uh, having to do with uh, here it is, but it, it but it does include all anxious worry about the issues and events of our lives. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink?" Matthew 6:31. And in this sense, it should be a Christian's care to, to to not be anxious. The word anxious in Greek comes from a primitive that means to cut the heart in pieces or a soul dividing care. Mm-hmm. Take heed of this. We are commanded to commit our way to the Lord. Psalm 37 5. In the original Hebrew, it says, To roll your way upon the Lord. Mm. It is our work to cast our cares, and it is God's work to take care in our pride. We take in our pride, we take his work out of his hand. And I was like, Good grief. Taking our taking his work out of taking, it says uh, specifically, In our pride, we take his work out of his hand. I'm like, Good grief. We're taking literally we're taking it and we're like I got this. Yep. I can control this. Yep. Um uh, but in prayer how we, you know, how you've been talking is the mm-hmm. uh the grace derived, gospel driven uh communion with 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 God. It's yep. like okay, I am literally communing with God, but instead of it aligning God to my cares and to my anxiousness, it is aligning me to God and being content with what I've been given and just resting in that. So this, this is a, this anxious and worry and all of that is a huge, you know, uh, subject I I would imagine with a lot of people, but obviously it leads to discontentment. So, um, I wanted you to kind of speak to, this whole idea of being anxious and worrying and the discontentment that will come along with it.
0: No, I, I, I would say it the other way around. I would say anxiety and worry is ultimately driven by discontentment on many okay. levels. That's good. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more the other way around. And at the end of the day, um, so there's two ways in scripture to, to see this anxiety, this worry, um, or concern there's a sinful side to it and there's a biblical side to it that's not sinful and we can see that on multiple levels right uh, i think um, I, you know you i don't know what you what you call jesus in john 16:17 and then later on in the garden in luke uh, you know 23 or whatever you know when he's uh, when he says my soul my soul is vexed my soul is over overwhelmed pray with me, he's telling the, the, uh, the apostles. And there's a sense in which, uh, there's a sense of, of he- his soul was heavy laden, right? And you could even say, though you would have to define it, there's a sense in which there's an anxiety about him, right? That's why he prays, and his, and his uh, sweat turns to drops of blood, because he's so focused on what he's doing. And obviously, it's not even, I don't even think it was even the the physical pain of crucifixion. It was bearing the the weight of the sin of the world that the Father was about ready to heap on him, and he was going to be separated from his Father under the wrath of God. He knew that was coming. Mm. He knew every bit of that, and there was a right sense of concern that overwhelmed him, even emotionally, in his humanity. He was feeling that, and that's why he is praying with great earnestness and, and beseeching the Father, is there another way, mm-hmm. right? That's what he's doing. So you can see that there, and obviously we're not going to call that sin, right? Mm-hmm. And because ultimately, he what? He trusts the Lord, not my will, but yours be done, right? Mm-hmm. So, and he does exactly what we should do. It's Again, he's he's our example, he's our model, he's our, he's our faithful high priest, and that what? He takes it to the Lord, right? He's feeling heavy laden and feeling the, the right sense of stress and concern over all that's coming, and he doesn't you know carry it himself. He casts it upon the Lord well, through prayer. You see that. So you can also see this in Paul. He, he brings this up multiple times where he talks about all of the struggles he has. He brings this up in 1 Corinthians, and he says, I'm not only shipwrecked and beaten and, and left for dead and all these persecutions, but he says, but I have the anxiety of the churches on my heart every day. And literally uses that word for anxiety. It's often translated concern, right, mm-hmm. or worry. And he has that where he's just constantly thinking of all the churches that were planted, and he and he's concerned for them. It's partly why he writes certain letters or sends Timothy or Titus back. Why to check on them? Because he's concerned. And then he says it. I was concerned that somebody that you were deceived. That the evil one had tricked you, as he tricked Eve, and and so you see that come up multiple times in Scripture, and that's not sinful, mm. right? Because he's concerned about the things that God's concerned about, yeah. right? And uh, and so I think you have to you have to clarify that, and you have to understand that there's two sides to this reality of what do we mean when we say anxiety? What are we talking about? What kind of concern? Because if you if you kind of take this almost uh, uh, what's the right word, um, Pollyannish view of where you're never concerned, you never have any care, you just kind of float through life with this, uh, everything's seen through rose-colored glasses and all is well kind of deal. That's not biblical, nor is that accurate, nor is that healthy, Yeah. right? We have vast concerns, concerns for our children, concerns for the glory of God, concerns for the salvation of the lost, concern for our own walk in holiness, like those are all good, mm-hmm. and we should have them. If we're honest, we don't have them enough. Yeah. The problem is, is not that we have those concerns; it's that we don't have those concerns. We have concerns for the world. Mm-hmm. We have worldly concerns where we care more about the material things of our world rather than the spiritual walk of our life, mm-hmm. right? And so, I think I think sometimes we have to uh, we have to uh, recalibrate our thinking when it comes to these things, and there should be a right sense of concern in our in our lives that drives us to the Lord, right? Not a concern that drives us away from the Lord. So anytime we have anxiety, worry, and concern uh, that takes us away from the Lord, that's always sin, yeah. always. And that's what Matthew 6 is talking about very clearly. It's, you know, it's a greater part of the chapter after the Lord's Prayer that's all about that, right? He's like laying it out, this anxiety, this worry for temporal things, including, right, you know, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to do. And uh, obviously, people are most often consumed with those things. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. I've got it. It's my job to provide your daily bread, which includes, obviously, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're you know where you going to live, all these things. It's like, I got that. Don't worry about that. And yet, that's what we worry about. And most of the time, you know, we are not concerned and, and and consumed, would even be a right word, with the things of God. We're consumed with the things of man, mm. right? And so uh, that's, that's always sin. And why is it always sin? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Matthew 6, speaking in this vein, anxiety and worry is always sin because at the heart of it is an unbelieving heart. Meaning, no faith. No trust in the Lord that's the problem. That's why it's sin, because you're not trusting the Lord. You're not having faith in the Lord, because if you were, you would not be anxious about it. So that, anytime we don't trust the Lord, it's always sin, right? Especially about the things that, obviously, God has called us to trust Him about, i.e. everything, but especially what we're going to eat, where we're going to go, all these things. And so, um, at the end of the day, when we have that that sinful anxiety it's driven by a lack of trust in the lord so that goes back to then what you were quoting a minute ago and this is at the heart of it when we are in a state of anxiety this will happen every time over obviously sinful things rather than i'm not talking about biblical things but when we're in a state of anxiety where we're not trusting the lord we're fixated on worldly things and sometimes they're good things you know my job my health whatever my children whatever It's not that they're necessarily sinful in what we're focused on, but we're responding in a sinful way and not trusting to the Lord, not giving it to the Lord. What we're doing, what we, I'm telling you, I've seen this so many times, almost every anxiety that plagues us is actually things that are outside of our control. Hmm. And almost always they are things that are only in God's control. That's the quote that you just read. We are literally trying to pick up what only God can pick up. Mm. We are literally trying to do what only God can do. Mm. I'm anxious about the cancer, okay? There's a right sense of concern that everyone should have when they get the diagnosis they got cancer. That's not sinful. But when you start getting anxious, worry, where it's driving you away from God, when it's taking you away from trusting the Lord, that's sinful every Mm. time. Well, what are you doing? you're you're now consumed with something you can't control. Yeah. Like I can't change it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean I can listen to the doctors and and if I believe that's, you know, the wise counsel, then I you do whatever the doctor says and but even in that I'm still I can't. I don't know if radiation's going to work, chemo's going to work, diet's going to work, exercise is going to work. Even in that I'm what? Got to trust the Lord, mm-hmm. right? But in all of that only God can deal with my cancer right? And only God can deal with my rebellious child. Only God can deal with my difficult boss. Only God can deal with whatever issue it is. And if, I, if I'm anxious about it, it's because I'm trying to deal with it myself, and I've come to a point to recognize, I can't do it. I can't fix it. And that becomes what? Very scary. And that's the anxiety. It just starts to overtake you when you think, I can't fix this. No, you can't. So trust the Lord give it to the Lord. But what we do is, instead of trusting the Lord, we try to work it out ourselves. We keep trying to pick it up. We keep trying to carry it. And that's what Jesus is speaking of in, in Matthew 6. And he brings that back up. Again, Paul brings that up in Philippians 4. Mm-hmm. And these realities, it's like, no. And Peter brings it up in 1 Peter 5. And, you know, you got to trust the Lord. You got to give it to him. He is sovereign. Let him carry it. I tell people this as pastor. Stop trying to carry what only God can carry. Mm. Stop trying to fix what only God can fix. Stop trying to change what only God can change. Take your your worries and your anxieties to the Lord and leave them there, because only He can carry it. Only He can fix it. Yeah. And only He can uh, change it. And He will do that according to His perfect will. You just got to trust Him and leave it there. And that, obviously kills uh anxiety and that's why i said anxiety really is a discontentment with god it's a discontentment with what god has brought into your life it's a discontentment with what god is doing with your life it's a discontentment with who god is because if you weren't discontent with god you would trust him mm. and you would trust him in in your moment but you're just not happy with the way things have work. and a lot of honest people will say that in their anxiety lord i don't like this mm. well that's the key that's yeah. the problem yeah yeah Well, you don't have to like it in the sense of, you know, nobody likes getting cancer. Nobody likes getting hit by a drunk driver. Nobody likes, you know, having some sort of, you know, disaster hit their life. It's not about that. But it's, do we trust the Lord? Do we believe that he, Romans 8, is going to work out everything for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose? Do we believe that? Well, if you do, then trust him because he's got a plan in this. And his plan is always Good, right, and true, and we just need to trust them.
1: Uh, yeah, I love that. And Philippians four, uh, you know, obviously the um, the uh, verse that we were talking about last uh, podcast as well. Do not be anxious about anything. Four six. Yeah. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, this is what's been messing with me. So I went back and I was reading the whole chapter of, uh, you know, chapter 4. Verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is the scripture that has been jumping around in my mind all week. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That struck me as like a, my reasonableness. Like, what is that? Like, what is... what is what? And it, it 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 to me it almost seems as if it was something that was kind of thrown in there, because it, I can definitely connect. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. Like I can do that, but then all of a sudden Paul just throws in there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I I was like that is just a a stark just like it, it's almost like a. Uh, like a like a uh a piece of thread that's hanging out of a sweater. Yeah. It's like, where did that come from? How did it get there? What's the reason? Even if I keep reading, I'm like, okay, let your reasonableness yeah. be made. Uh, you yeah. know, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I'm still trying to reconcile that in my brain, but yeah. what it was doing, it was as I was thinking about it, it's like, okay, okay, your reasonableness. What is reason? Being reasonable, meaning. Uh, you know, just being level headed, I would guess, or, you know, let your reasonables be made known. And you can't do that while you're being anxious. Like I was trying to, trying to, you know, fortify it, fortify it in my brain as to what that was. But maybe you can kind of give me like an idea of how to wrap my head around that That word, the the whole, the whole, uh, yeah, Yeah. the word and then the actual verse.
0: I'm going to take a stab at it, but I could, I have to go back and look at it, but just as you've asked it um again in context he's talking uh, getting some f- something's loose something's Maybe, loose yeah i'm getting what, some clicking you... or something so in my mic oh really my ears so hopefully it's not coming through anyway i don't hear it okay good um so in context he's he's talking to, he's he's dealing with this reality of Yodia and Sintiki who were who were obviously uh, two ladies who weren't getting along right in the church. Right. So he's talking to them about, about the reality of, of agreeing together and serving together and keeping their, uh, eyes on the Lord and, and what that means to, uh, be fellow workers in Christ and focus on that. And then he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. Always. Again, I say rejoice, let your reasonableness, right? So let your, um, that word, if I remember correctly, I'm going back in my mind, uh, to the Greek and and he's speaking of let let the let the sound thinking and living of your life be seen by everyone. Let so that's reasonable meaning as you're interacting together, let it be let it be clear to everyone in how you're living and thinking so that everyone can see it's reasonable. Mm. Right? And to where you're You're thinking clearly. You're living clearly, and it's obvious to everyone. Which is how we should live, right? Right. We should live in such a manner that it's, it's reasonable. People, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. We're trusting the Lord. We say we believe this. We live this way, right? Right. And it's, that's what that's what. If I remember correctly, that word that he's using there is speaking to that reality. And so again, that's why he says then following, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Like Mm -hmm. trust the Lord. Don't be, don't be overwhelmed by this. Don't be anxious by this. L- let, let the disagreements you have, work them out in a reasonable fashion, meaning in a clear way that is, that is uh, encouraging to everyone, and let it be seen to everyone that you're working this out because of, obviously, Christ, not because of, you know, back to F- chapter 2, you have the mind of Christ, not the mind of self— and the reality that the Lord is at hand, the Lord's coming back. And so do not be anxious.
1: Yeah, that's what it's drives in one sentence because yeah. it's not it's, it's no period yeah. after the Lord is at hand. It's a yeah. semicolon. So yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I got to go back. So the Lord is at hand does is a twofold
0: reality, right? The Lord's at hand. You got nothing to worry about, meaning that mm. means the Lord is near. Mm. Right. It's okay. literally what that means. The Lord is close. Right. Right. And so what do you have to be anxious about? The Lord has got you. The Lord is here. The Lord is watching over you he's at hand like he's, mm. he's in this he's watching over he's sovereign he's close he's near it's also the lord is at hand he's coming back yeah right and he's going to judge and so be careful that you walk in a way that is obviously pleasing to him and honorable to him. So the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will rule your heart. Mm -hmm. Meaning that peace of God is nothing more than resting in the promises of God. That's what that is, Right. where you're resting in who he is, what he said and what he's, what he's promised to do. And you're resting in that.
1: And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's what he's, uh, what he's speaking to. Yeah. That was that was messed with me because I read it and I was like, man, that is, uh, because I think in the book he mentioned, um, you know, that scripture. So I was like, okay, let me not just read some of it. I need to read yeah. the whole chapter and kind of yeah. get an understanding. Yeah. Um, but that reasonableness, I was like, man, I I need to understand this a lot a lot better. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh,
0: think about it. Right? It's reasonable if you say you believe in the sovereign God that you're not going to be anxious. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 unreasonable if you say my God is sovereign and is in control of everything. And then you're walking around scared or you're walking around bickering. You're walking around complaining. You're walking around fighting two ladies with one another over over tertiary temporal things Mm -hmm. that's not reasonable Mm -hmm. right if if christ is everything and christ is sovereign and christ is in control and he's working out a perfect plan and everything is fitting into it in some sovereign providential mysterious way then anxiety totally utterly contradicts all of that all of it yeah and it it comes again from a discontented heart because now we're like god this is i don't like your plan I don't, I don't, I don't like how you're working this out. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of, that's again, that's unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Right. You can start to see how that starts to put together. Yeah. And if he's near, if he's close, what do, what do I got to be afraid of?
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: like a father, right? Mm-hmm. It's like my kids, when they were little, I used to do this sometimes in the, in the stores when they were, you know, starting to get a little brave, right. Walmart or wherever. And it was like, I'd hide in the other aisle I'd watch them and they're starting to drift away. And then I'd kind of go around the other aisle and just peeked where I could see them. And they'd be toddling away, and then they turn around, and you could see that fear on their face. It's like, it's like what happened to Dad, right? He's not at hand. And they're just looking, and they don't know what to do, right? And then I'd like stick my head around the corner, and you'd see their big old face, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because as soon as they knew I was at hand, mm-hmm. I was near, everything was well. Right. So anxiety is living as if God isn't at hand. Mm. Anxiety is living as if he's not near mm-hmm. when he's always near. Yeah. I mean he lives within us, those of us who believe. And so you start to see how that how's that how that plays out big time.
1: Yeah, that's good. I, I love that and especially the the at hand part, you know, that really uh gives some, some great clarity there. Um, I think that we are going to end here. It is uh we're we a little past get, the hour. We didn't get very far, man. We we didn't, but the thing about it is um, you know, we have a, a pastor that likes to be clear. Um and I appreciate that. Um it's one of those what a blessing uh, you know, moments <laughs> in our life that, you know, I really appreciate. Um so oh, man. So let me I tell gonna, you I gonna do it you let me tell you a funny story though. So uh um I was talking to my girls about this, my youngest girls, and uh uh my youngest daughter, she's like, Oh, I know I know something you should have on there. Oh no. I was like, what is it that I should have on there? She said you could you should do this one unqualified. I was like, oh, that's that's a good one. I definitely need to have that on there. That is. So she so she was like, yeah, you need to have that. one. I know on that there. voice. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, I got that one. Yeah, the thing a- about it is I can't think of any other sayings from him because it's so it's everything is nothing is a like a a quick word. Yeah. You know, it's always like a a sentence or a paragraph that I need yep. to put on there. So, yeah, I'll figure some stuff out though. Yep. So All right. Well um thank you all for tuning in and listening today um you all have been great listeners y'all didn't talk the whole time while we were talking this is great so i appreciate you all and uh thank you all for listening by the way whoever supplied us with uh this the, the the food today um i really appreciate it uh it was very much appreciated we needed it uh matt didn't hadn't eaten all day so it was uh well Yeah, he hadn't eaten dinner at least. So, you know, he had some, some, a little bit of food, but that was, it hit the spot perfectly. And I think that's why he talked for the first 15 minutes, because he had some energy. He was going for it. His, his GPMs were high and, you know, it was, he was doing well. So thank you all for listening. And I am going to now give you all the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy Him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving Creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, He must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge. And yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross and he satisfied the eternal anger of God standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere, to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner, and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day. Be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the truth talks podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org.
0: Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. Ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church
1: I guess it is recording okay so this is a uh, this is what we call a hidden track <laughs> <laughs> so for the people that uh that that turned it off as soon as they hear the gospel. Yeah that's and right. don't listen to the, the end of it. yeah, they're missing out on this part. So um Matt just wanted to actually come on and do some uh uh some further Yeah, uh, I wanted explaining. to clarify yeah, a little bit ahead. more. So I couldn't I couldn't remember
0: what that Greek word was for reasonableness and as uh, translated into E S V, so as soon as, as soon as we ended I pulled out the Greek New Testament and wanted to look it up and As soon as I saw it, I realized um, that I wasn't as clear as I could have been on that, because that Greek word uh, actually is better translated as uh, long-suffering or uh, gentle. And obviously, in context, uh, it makes sense, because again, like I was saying, he's in Philippians 4-5 is where that verse comes up in the Greek word that's translated as reasonableness or gentleness or long-suffering, forbearance. It could be translated and in the context with uh, Iodia and Syntyche, makes sense while he's saying, let your gentleness be seen by all, Mm. right? Which obviously is reasonable if you're both believers and you're being forbearing with one another, which he's obviously already made really clear in Philippians chapter 2, and having the mind of Christ, let that be seen by everyone. And so that's that's what he's really specifically talking to in in that context. And then obviously the Lord is at hand, which we talked about, which obviously is going to provoke you to be all kinds of gentle with one another when you know, the Lord is near and he's with believers. And so, uh, so added to what we were saying before, obviously that's a reasonable faith. That's a, that's a clear demonstration of, of what you believe, especially when you're dealing with two people who are, who are struggling to get along in that church context. And Paul is, is reminding them and exhorting them that they would be gentle with one another, forbearing with one another, uh, being patient with one another, which would uh, obviously demonstrate a reasonable a reasonable
1: faith mm-hmm. towards one another. There was a story that you did not tell on Sunday, on oh, no. the twentieth. Sorry, I can't remember what that was, but I was like, I gotta have him tell that story. I don't know if it was this Sunday or, or Sunday before. Oh no, you remember? I I, I think I might, but I. I are you
0: talking about the the leg? Yes. <laughs> yes. I had so many people ask me for that afterwards. Yeah, what 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 was that about, man? Yeah, so uh, man, this really is that An aftertake.
1: Oh yeah, this is this is this is the uh, the afterglow. <laughs> <laughs> this is the afterglow. The Truth Talks podcast. Yeah, this is
0: this is the afterward. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, after truth. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, obviously, we're talking in context on Sunday, if I remember correctly. It's a fog now, but, uh, you know, in the reality of trusting the Lord, yeah. right? And uh, trusting him for everything and uh, and what that, what that life looks like and how the Lord often brings things into our lives that don't make sense. And obviously, the only way through it is trusting the Lord. So mm-hmm. I was talking about a time in my life where uh, I ended up in the hospital. And to this day, they don't know why. Um, I got an infection in my leg that no one knows how, and uh, it was an infection that um, that no one could stop, and it was it was wild. That's all I'll say. It was it it hit me. I can still take you to the place. I was actually at Grace Church. Uh, it was at a, it was on a sh- at a Shepherd's Conference, and I was busy doing what I did there as children's pastor. It was a very busy time for us, and a lot of speaking, a lot of interacting, a lot of lot of seminars we were doing in different different ways and i was walking across campus and and uh, i can still i can still see it as clear as day it was like somebody hit me in my kneecap with a sledgehammer mm. I'll, I'll never forget it I'll never forget it as long as i live and i, I mean i about i buckled like i almost almost went down like i just like i literally grunted and it was like somebody just came out of nowhere. And I kind of got my composure, and there's obviously people all around, and, you know, it was it was, it was was scary. And I pulled up my pants leg, and my kneecap was as bright red as could be, like somebody hit it. Wow. And it was just throbbing, and I thought, mm-hmm. what in the world? So I thought, you know, I played athletics and twisted ankles, twisted knees. I just thought, man, I must have twisted my knee and not know it, you know, twisted it in a way, and it just popped. And mm-hmm. so I kind of just went about, but I'm hobbling. I'm hobbling but I'm like I had to get better and walk it off and man as the day went on it got worse my knee is getting hot and it's getting worse and worse so I eventually went they had nurses station and they're like oh yeah you tore a ligament let's wrap it up so they wrapped it up and got some aspirin and you know I'm going about my day doing my thing I go home at night and this thing just won't quit mm-hmm. next day I got stuff to do so I'm hobbling around it's getting worse I'm icing it I'm heating it and just thinking, man, I really tore a ligament. Like, I really twisted my leg. And so I went through the whole conference. I had people visiting from West Virginia, so I was like, I couldn't, you know, I got, I mean, I got multiple pastors in my home who, who are out to visit, and so I'm like, how am I, man, I, I'm, I'm like an invalid. But I got these guys I'm supposed to be taking back right. and forth to shepherds, and, and plus all the responsibilities I've got to do. So, so obviously I couldn't quit, so I just kept going, worked through it. Man, by the end of the conference, by the end of the week, my leg, my knee you couldn't even see it. It was so swollen. It was I mean, I'm got like I've got green beans, I got corn, I got all these frozen <laughs> vegetables I'm at night. I'm elevating my leg. I'm trying right. everything. Right. And it just keeps getting worse. So I get these guys on a plane and I'm like telling Amy, I'm like this is not good. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to some guys, they gave me names for physical therapists. So I got this this appointment at this physical therapist on Monday. And I go in there and the guy starts looking at me, and he, he's like, yeah, this guy's is an old, old guy. He starts yelling at me, but he's not, like, being mean, but he's like, you could tell he's like, this is serious. So he's like, do this, do that. What is wrong with you? Do this, do that. And then he's like, and I'm just like, whoa, sorry, man, sorry. Mm-hmm. But he could tell this was serious. And he looked at me, and said, you have no knee problem. He's like, you got an infection. And he said, and you have to go to the hospital right now. You drop everything and you go to the ER right now or you're gonna die. And I'm like Whoa. I'm like, You sure it's not just a torn ligament, man? Come on. <laughs> He's grief. like, You have nothing wrong with your knee. You got nothing wrong with your ligaments. You have an infection of some sort that it and it's it's no joke. He said, You gotta get this taken care of now. He said, I want you to go to the ER right now. And so Amy was out in the van waiting and I walk out and she said, What'd they say? I was like, well, the guy told me to go to the ER now because I got an infection or I'm going to die. And she said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so so we're still kind of like shock and all, And we're just right. like, what in the world is this? So, But it hurt. I mean, I was in severe pain. But I'm just like, okay, let's go to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital, drops me off at the ER. I walk in. I'm not exaggerating because I got shorts on and you could see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just cherry red, mm-hmm. my whole leg. I'll never forget it nurse at the front door she starts yelling at me do not move do not come any closer don't touch anyone or anything and i'm sitting there going what what am i like a leper <laughs> right and she says just stay still and she comes out and this is when i knew it was serious she had like a big pen she had that thing held at the end she reached out she wouldn't get no closer to me she reached out with the big pen and started tracing my leg And she's like, don't do anything. Just don't move. And she's tracing my leg, up and down my leg, and tracing it. And then she said, just sit still. And then she calls people. They come out. This is before. I mean, this is years ago, COVID. They're all masked up, gloved up, white coats. And they put me in a wheelchair, and they take me to a quarantine room, put me in it. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this must be pretty serious. (laughs) (laughs) I still have no idea what's going on. Oh, my goodness. I'm still thinking, I twisted my knee. Right. Right and uh, anyway she uh i i i start asking right like i'm just in this room by myself mm-hmm. they just shut the door and so finally a nurse comes in and you know and i'm like uh excuse me ma'am like what's going on and she literally looks at me she said you have an infection that we have no idea what it is <laughs> but she said it is serious beyond anything you can imagine. What? And I am not exaggerating. Five doctors come in to the room next from all around the hospital. And they got all masked up and they're looking at me and they're talking. And I'm literally still sitting there going, I thought I twisted my leg. Like, what's <laughs> going on? And so, but this was this was pretty wild. So they showed me. They were like, Sir, we're gonna show you how serious this is. They said you came into the ER. It was like 25 minutes ago. By the time all these doctors come down, and they're like, "Look at the red! Look at the red now!" It had already gone past. That's why she traced it so that they could gauge how fast the infection was spreading. Mm. And she's and they were like, "You can already see it's already moved up your leg further than where the nurse had traced it." And it's, they were like, "We don't know what this is, but it's moving fast and it's moving towards your heart." And they said, "If it gets to your heart, you're done." And that's when I was like, okay, this is serious. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it was pretty wild and they still never, they never could give me a definitive answer what it was. Um, they had to keep trying different concoctions of antibiotics and nothing was working. And they reached a point where they said, sir, we, we've got one more bout of antibiotics. We've pumped you so full of antibiotics. Now it's getting dangerous on that side. And they're like, Uh, the last resort is to start cutting on your leg because it's by that point it had it had basically started going up my hip that's how far up the infection was and uh they're like we're gonna have to start cutting if if these antibiotics don't work and and that's when obviously you're just like okay i guess i guess i guess i'm gonna have one leg (laughs) And so that's when I said, okay, all right, just don't mess with my tongue because I'm a a preacher. (laughs) I was trying to lighten the room because everybody was, like, walking around me, like, on eggshells. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just like, you know, okay, the Lord is sovereign, and I was doing my best to keep my composure and trust the Lord. And and when I said that, one of the nurses was not happy. And I was just like, yeah, don't mess with my tongue. I can preach with one leg. And, And the one nurse looked at me and said, that's not funny this is serious. I'm like, it's my leg, man. It's my leg. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. So It's just like, what am I supposed to do? But yeah. So it was wild. Praise the Lord. We prayed. Obviously the seminary was praying. People were praying and the Lord worked that last round, that last go. I mean, they told me, they said, we are going to pump you so full of antibiotics. This is it. This is the last ditch effort. And it worked. Like it started to recede and then they Mm -hmm. just kept going and it, and it, it, I was in the hospital for almost a week. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and then I left and they were like, we, they literally were like, we really don't know what you had. We, we think it was this, we think it was this. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I had to go to therapy, physical therapy. I mean, mess my leg up, mess my knee up. And they told me it was praise the Lord, it hasn't happened since, but they're like this could come back again mm-hmm. cuz we really don't know what it was. They threw out a bunch of stuff, you know, MRSA and different things, you know, uh cellulitis, different different types of infections that they were that it was acting like, but they just they didn't know, but you know, just trust the Lord. So wait a minute. They actually, me... they actually, for a long time, they thought it was a, a spider bite. They thought it was, a, um, they thought it was like a brown recluse, right, or or black widow. But they said it wasn't. There's tons of black widow. I used to see them all the time. But they said it wasn't that because it wasn't acting like that. They said it was, it was acting more like a brown recluse. But they don't really have those. So they were inspecting me forwards and backwards for spider, but I have spider bite. There was nothing. You know, it wasn't that. So they still don't know. Then they were looking for like cuts on my leg. And had I been in water and got an infection
1: from the water, but I don't have any cuts on my leg and I hadn't been in water. Because mm-hmm. so. I was thinking, I was like, oh, this must have happened when he was in West Virginia. No, but yeah, yeah. This was so, California. Yeah, I wasn't in the woods. I wasn't doing anything. And that's, again, it's, it's a mystery. I, you know? Well, I think I know what happened. God wanted you to be a physical representation of what sin does. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. There it is, how it spreads. And. I'm just trying to make something out of nothing, I guess. Yeah. No, it's, it, it was good for me. It humbled me,
0: which is obviously always good and always need that. And it taught me a lot, taught my wife and, and kids a lot. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, our, our years in seminary and, and those 10 years of Bible college and seminary preparation were filled with numerous times for either my children, my wife, or myself, where we were. And, and we're never in and out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. We were in a hospital like crazy. Like wow. Because of just the, I believe the divine testing of the Lord and the strengthening and what he does. And, and, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was some times of severe testing that I wouldn't want to go through again. But the Lord showed himself faithful and I'm thankful I got two legs.
1: Yeah, that is, that is uh, a remarkable, really a remarkable story, man. Um, I thought it was going to be. I mean, I thought it was going to be something interesting because you, you mentioned it during the sermons. Like, yeah, you're going to die, you know, yeah. you know people, what people were saying. But, man, the I think that the, the most – because, you know, I, I think in sitcoms, I'm sitting there seeing, like, a, a nurse like, stop, don't move. And I'm yeah. thinking, is does what he have is, – is it contagious? Like, yeah. is it something – and then they're like, well, coming in with – I'm like, well, is it contagious? Like, how contagious is it? And I'm yeah. like – my first thought was, well, was Amy okay? Are the kids okay? You know, it's, yeah. so it's, you know all types of I, thoughts I just,
0: there. I still can see this this nurse holding. It was a white Bic pen. I still I can still see it, and she had a hold of that thing at the. I mean, she had it at the end of her, the tip of her finger, and she's holding the end of the pen, and she's stretching like she did not want to get <laughs> close to me. And I just remember sitting there like not moving. Oh and my it, goodness! Just like oh, this is wild. This is wild. Oh,
1: so man. yeah. Yeah, that. Uh, thank you for telling that story and for the people that stopped listening uh, at the end of, you know, or at the beginning of the gospel. Yeah. Well, they, see,
0: I needed to clarify that term yeah. reasonableness. I needed to get that right. I didn't. It wasn't, you know, totally accurate. in what I was saying, I wanted to be clear. I wanted to clarify that. And so the Lord gave us an opportunity, obviously, to make to make that right. And
1: then to bring that story in that hopefully will encourage
0: others. Oh, uh, well,
1: yeah, it definitely encourages me, and um, I appreciate that. So, we're going to sign off again. So, Amen. all right, y'all take it easy. Thanks for listening.